You're on with Barbara. Hey guys, everyone is going through uncharted waters right now and nobody's on easy street. So in these very uncertain times, we're going to shift gears a bit. I'm going to step away from the boardroom and the bedroom to bring you the best information to help us all through these times. And let me tell you, I've given my husband Bill notice that I'm stepping out of the bedroom. He's not happy, but I'm relieved. I want you to keep calling in your questions. Your questions are very important to me. They're not just important to me, but they help everybody else who's listening because I'm getting redundant questions, which means these are answers that people really need. Keep them coming. I'll be with you here on 888-BARBARA every other week answering your questions, and I'll be also interviewing some really smart guests like the guests we have with us today. So make sure you subscribe to my other podcast, Business Unusual, where I'll be answering all of the very tough business questions during this crisis. Hey, I chatted with Karen back on April 2nd, and since then, so many of the rules around the new stimulus package have changed. So why don't you double check with your local bank and the SBA website for the most updated information. Got that? I have with me today the great Karen Kahn, founder of I Fund Women. I'm going to let Karen tell you about her great organization in just a minute. And believe me when I say she's a great asset to female entrepreneurs everywhere. I met Karen Khan just a few months back when we partnered with Alcon on Real Relief for Visionary Women, which was a program to find, fund, and encourage up-and-coming businesswomen. It was such an important initiative, and it already has done so much good. But today, I want to talk to Karen about what she usually does on iFundWomen to support women in a great network. And I also am going to ask her how she and the women that she services are getting through these very trying times. But before that, I have a curiosity question, and I'm going to let Karen answer it as her first question. Where are you working, Karen? And how's it going for you? I know you have kids. I am working in Montclair, New Jersey, in my home office. My kids are teenagers, and oddly, they're being so good. Wow. They're being homeschooled. It's very interesting. I've got one in the public school who has exactly one hour of work in the morning and that's it. And I'm furious, wow. but I don't have time to do wow. anything about it because I'm working 24 seven. I fund women has never been busier, but mm. my high schooler who goes to a private school has a very rigorous curriculum and he's doing work all day. So they've taken wow. over my third floor. They've moved from the second to the third floor they're being great. I think they're really learning. They're old enough to understand that this global pandemic is something they're going to remember forever. And we're very privileged and grateful to be in this house quarantined together. We've got plenty of room. We've got a yard and we are knock on wood healthy. So it's been a good learning lesson for everybody. I mean, I've gone a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> uh, well, I've put on a little bit of weight because I'm not a big eater, but I've been finding I think I satisfy myself with a few more sweets than I ever indulged in. But I'm curious about your son who's in the public school. What an interesting separation between public and private school in New Jersey. May I ask you, what is he doing with the rest of his day? I would think he'd be going crazy. So it's my girl. I think my town might be an anomaly. I've heard from other mm-hmm. Parents who have kids in public schools in other towns in New Jersey that are on the computer, on the Zoom from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the teachers are actually teaching. So my kid either is a great liar, which I doubt, 
or Mm -hmm. she's just flying through her work, but there's no teachers like showing up on Zoom. It's very weird. Don't get me started, Barb. I could like rant and rave about this. Well, I have to say I'm a little surprised about one thing. You make networks for a living and you do them so effectively. Why would you not get the mothers together on that school and gang up on the school and get what you need for your daughter? You know, I probably need to, and they probably are doing that. I have been dedicating my life to helping women entrepreneurs get funded. So that's the battle I've picked. And my daughter, Mm. she has very high EQ. She's super cool. She's funny. She's smart. She's a mini me. I'm not worried about her. Like, I'm just not worried. Okay. I'm not worried. I was really worried I would get involved. So I'm going to take your daughter off my worry table. I'm not worried about her either. Yeah. So uh, let's start where you started. How does someone grow up and decide, I'm going to support women and I'm going to make it my life call? When did you think of it? Why? Was it happenstance? Did you grow up saying, I just have to help women? What happened that made Karen Khan, Karen Khan? The reason why I started iFundWomen was because I was a female founder who could not get funded. So I grew up at Google. One of my first jobs out of college was at Google, very early days. I was employee number 213, the ninth employee in New York. Did you have stock? Stock options, I hope. Oh, my girl. Yes, please. Are you yes, kidding me? baby. Good, yeah, good, good. Oh, yeah. Okay. I worked at Google for 10 years, the first six years on search and the last four years on YouTube when Google acquired YouTube. I went over there and I was always in sales. I can monetize anything. That's my superpower. At Google, we were literally printing money. But the reason I decided sort of in 2007, I would say when I was really working on monetizing big creators on YouTube, going out, I was in charge of the consumer packaged goods business. And so Mm. I would go out to Unilever and Pepsi and Coke, and I would sign eight-figure deals. And they were all for the endemic YouTube audience, which was young men, like young men making gamer videos and skateboarder videos. And Mm. it was in that moment where I was like, wait a second, I'm busting my butt making eight-figure deals for young white boys who are going to do just fine without my help. I was like, where are all the female creators? And the endemic YouTube audience then was mostly young men. So I started voraciously researching female video creators on YouTube who could be monetized. And there just wasn't enough. I'd be curious why that didn't naturally happen. Think about it. You had a new frontier, a new platform, a level playing field for both men and women, a growing industry, and women weren't a big player then. I have always wondered about that in all the technology space. Why weren't there a lot of women? It was just the early days. I mean, literally, Google acquired YouTube in 2006. And when I started working on it, the endemic YouTube audience was all dudes. The reason there weren't women in the space then is because women didn't play video games. It wasn't that women didn't play video games. Women were not creating videos on YouTube on their phones. The company started in San Bruno, California by two young dudes. Mm. They developed a video sharing app and they had their friends use it. That's how Mm. things start. But women started to find out about it a little bit later. I have what I call pioneer syndrome, Barbara. It's a made-up disease (laughs) for when you know a good thing like way too early before it starts. So at that moment, I went to my boss at YouTube and I said, hey, what if we went through our entire library of videos? And there were billions at that point. And this was probably mid-2008. What if we went through 
and found all the videos that were made by women and put a physical stamp on them and said, made by a female creator. I'm going to quintuple the price. I'm going to go to Unilever and I'm going to sell it right now. Why? Why could you quintuple the price? I don't get it. Because everybody wants to reach women. We're the biggest consumers. We spend 80% of the household money, make 80% of the purchasing decisions. This was the time when all the brands were starting to notice women as the consumers they wanted to get in front of, whether it was Toyota or Unilever or, you know this. Yes. And this was when YouTube was starting to be sponsored by bigger brands, but they wanted women as an audience and they wanted women Mm. creators. So my idea was, well, it was illegal because you can't um, gender specify. Google can't ask you what your gender is. Well, they can now. They know Mm -hmm. now, but they couldn't then. So long story medium, that's when I became a feminist. I thought, you know what? This YouTube for women idea is really cool and I'm not going to be able to do it at YouTube. So I'm going to put this idea in my pocket and start my own company one day. I did. So when I left corporate America as a wealthy woman, which is a dangerous thing when you want to go start a startup. What happened was my first startup, which was a video-based conversation platform for women, let's call Mm -hmm. it YouTube for women without the trolls, was a Mm -hmm. huge failure. Many reasons why it failed. But number one, working at Google does not prepare you to be an entrepreneur at all. The on-site massages and the dentist and the dry cleaner and the car service and the printing money does not prepare you to be a scrappy entrepreneur. Uh, Quite the opposite. I think it would make you fat, happy, and lazy. Well, I'm never lazy. I'm a very hard worker, and I love to be challenged. And that's why I left Google after 10 years. I was bored. It didn't make me fat. The money made me happy, kind of. That's a whole other podcast. And it didn't make me lazy, but it did make me want to start my company. What it didn't Mm. prepare me for was... When you start a company, and you know this better than anyone, your first iteration of your company is pretty scrappy. As it should be. As it should be. When you grow up at Google, you are brainwashed into thinking that your technology has to be perfect, that when you launch it, it's going to be field of dreams. Everybody's going to come. Because I was on the sales team. So like, I never saw all the engineers and all the bad tech products that never made it to the sales team to sell. I just got the product when it was perfect. You were never, never land. Yeah. Yeah. It was in never, never land printing money. So my first startup failed. We were late to market. I spent a ton of my own money building this software as a Hail Mary to save the company. After two years of slogging it out, I did a crowdfunding campaign. I was like, this should be easy. I'm in technology. I know how to make videos. Like how hard could this be? So Mm. we made a video, we put up a crowdfunding campaign And Barbara, when I tell you that first 24 hours was crickets, I kept refreshing the screen, refresh, refresh, refresh. And I looked at my co-founder, Sarah, who was with me at the time. And I said, where are the magical money elves? And she was like, Mm. I don't know. And she went back to her job. She's like, you got us into this. And I was like, hmm. So I called my mother and I said, Mm -hmm. mom, you need to go buy the t-shirt from the crowdfunding campaign. I will pay you back. My parents, you know, were very <laughs> modest people. They couldn't afford. I priced the t-shirt way too high. It was like 125 bucks for some stupid t-shirt. I said, go buy the t-shirt. I will pay you back. And she said, okay. So she hung up two hours later after she figured out how to do it. She called me and she said, I bought the t-shirt and I told your aunt Marjorie and your cousin Janet and cousin Janet posted on Facebook and other people are going to do it too. And that's when the light dawned on Marblehead. I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
this crowdfunding thing is just sales. It's selling things to people that want to buy them. And it doesn't matter if it has anything to do with your business. You're just trying to raise as much cash as possible in a short enough amount of time. So it's just Mm -hmm. an exercise in sales. So my first job out of college was an inside salesperson. I made 80 phone calls a week for the International Fashion Boutique Show at the Javits Center selling tickets. I was like, okay, I'm going to make 80 calls a day and I'm going to sell people things that they want to buy and I'm going to get this campaign funded. And 30 days later and $30,000 later, I had a pile of cash. I'm curious about something. You certainly didn't need the cash. Why did you decide to do crowdfunding? We did need the cash because the company was going under. I decided I was not putting any more of my own money and I'd already spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on this technology that nobody wanted. Literally, we didn't have any customers. It was a flop. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not putting my money into this. We had a little bit of revenue. And I was like, okay, we need money. So we did this crowdfunding campaign as a Hail Mm -hmm. Mary. But what I realized, Barbara, in that moment After it was over, I was like, wait a minute, why isn't everybody telling entrepreneurs, especially women entrepreneurs who are great storytellers and are great marketers, why isn't everybody telling people to crowdfund first to prove demand for your product or service Mm, before you invest in supply? And by Mm. supply, I mean wasting years of your life trying to chase an equity round, which I did. Mm-hmm. Or worse, going into debt. Most startups fail, and that's okay. But failing mm-hmm. going into debt is the worst. Mm. And so crowdfunding is really just sales and marketing. But nobody was talking about it back then. It was just really more like, oh, buy this cool consumer product or this, you know, the speaker cooler or the Pebble mm-hmm. Watch or this mm. game. It was really 94% of the highest grossing crowdfunding campaigns back when we started iFund Women were by white male creators. So Karen, I just want to ask, was that experience, what got you started in iPhone Women? You decided to apply that talent and teach people how to test market first with crowdfunding before they go into the marketplace for cash. That's exactly right. We turned crowdfunding on its head. So we used our money from our crowdfunding campaign that I was going to use to save the old company. And I was like, forget the old company. That's a flop. We're pivoting. Mm -hmm. There's no crowdfunding platform for women. There is nobody that is using crowdfunding or at least talking about it as a way to prove demand for your product or service. There is nobody that's making the videos for people because the video was a huge barrier to entry, especially Mm. for women. There was nobody that could do that and we could do that as a company. And there was nobody coaching people on how to do it. We created this proprietary coaching program called the iPhone Women Method, this whole new way of looking at crowdfunding as a way to test your business before you invest years of your life in it. If I'm listening well, you developed a great product that answers every need, every facet of what a woman needs to do if she wants to do crowdfunding, all right, and get her product up and running. How do you reach the women to sell your product? Because you're in that same position yourself. How did you gather these women together to say, hey, I want it and I'll pay for it? Or do you give it away for free? I'm not sure. Yep. Great question. So when we were in our prototyping phase, I put up a post Mm -hmm. on Facebook and I didn't boost it. I just, to my lady network. And I said, Hey, we're building a crowdfunding platform just for women. It's probably going to break. Do you need cash funding? This is Mm debt-free, non-dilutive capital. Do you need cash to build your proof of concept or to fund your business? If you do, Mm -hmm. please email me. 
and wow. you can beta test the product. In one week, Barbara, I had 200 emails. Wow. From that one Facebook post. Wow. And at the time, I think I had like a thousand Facebook friends. There was demand. It wasn't just a problem I was having. There was mm. so much demand. And then when I started to do the, the research, 1,800 mm. net new businesses are started by a woman in the United States every single day. There are about mm. 13 million small businesses that are owned by women in this country. 40% of all businesses in this country are owned by women. On the venture capital side, we get 2.8% of venture capital. So men mm. pretty much get 97% of VC. So that's the VC mm. money. Most companies are never going to raise venture capital. 99% mm. of companies will never raise VC. But even the companies that aren't raising VC, if we're going for loans, which I don't advise at the earliest stages, don't go into debt funding your startup, but we get lower loan amounts for higher rates. Our financial services system is completely racist and sexist. And so women are starting with 50% less working capital than our male counterparts. We are woefully underfunded. So when I put up that post on Facebook and got 200 responses, I kind of couldn't believe it, but I could believe mm. it. But you found your calling. You definitely found your calling then. And you said, this thing's going to fly. Are you at all familiar with the study that was done maybe now already three years ago by a group of Harvard guys or graduate students, I think, was who actually did the study, where they actually had men make the exact same pitch to a room full of real VC, venture capital guys, and women, a few women in the room. But then they would have women return and make the exact same pitch, the same word, the same business, the same numbers. And men got 98% of the funding and women got 2%. The same business, the same pitch. You read that, right? Oh, yeah. And it's because our answers, we were asked about risk-averse questions. We were asked negative mm -hmm. questions where the men were asked more positive, like, how are you going to go after that market versus like, what scares you about that market? That study was completely eye-opening. So women just get treated differently. The reality is in the venture capital world, it's all about pattern matching. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the unicorns who have either been at a big company like Google, the people that tend to get funded on it from the VCs are people that have computer science degrees or are engineers yes. from unicorns and or founders of companies who have exited. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. And when you look yep. at those people, they're named Larry, Sergey, Steve, Elon, the list goes on. But Karen, you were the exception there. You were someone who was with a technology background, a great brand behind you, Google, and you exited in a very financially rewarded way. So why wouldn't you, of all people, have gotten money thrown at you? If you were a guy, do you think you would have? Well, two things. Number one, I was a lowly salesperson and I love being mm -hmm. a salesperson. It's the best. I have no shame in that game, but I was yes. in sales. So if you notice what I said is you need to be an engineer. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Vastly different. And women gravitate towards sales. Yes, absolutely. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love, Sustain. This episode of 888 Barber is brought to you by Sustained Lubricant Eye Drops. Did you know that one out of seven adults report dry eye symptoms, and they include things like burning eyes, stinging, fluctuating vision, and watery eyes? Well, I'd have to count myself as one of those people until I found Sustain. 
So visit Sustain.com to learn more about the number one doctor recommended brand of over-the-counter eye drops. Sustain. Now let's get back to the show. How many women have you helped to date and where do you think you're making the biggest difference? What's the feedback you get? We have 28,000 members of iFund Women who are all in various stages of preparing to raise capital. The platform is part fintech and part edtech. So mm-hmm. on the fintech side, we have a technology that allows women to crowdfund and mm-hmm. get grants from institutions. Only institutions? Yep, like from Sustain, from Alcon. The women on our platform can participate in that debt-free capital. And then on the ed tech side, we have an on-demand startup school where mm-hmm. for a monthly subscription, although mm-hmm. during COVID we've made it for free because we want women to be able to learn, you can mm-hmm. learn everything from, of course, how to crowdfund, but also mm-hmm. how to raise an angel round, how to raise mm-hmm. a seed round, how and why to, to set up your Google Analytics how to do Mm. Facebook retargeting ads, how to write a Mm. business plan, how to hone your pitch, all of these things that businesses need. You know, most of our entrepreneurs are solopreneurs. So they've got Mm. their own superpower. You know, they make a product, they have a service, whatever they do, they need to know how to do all these other things to run a business. Let me ask you something. So you really didn't aim your guns at predominantly teaching them how to pitch and get funding from the investment community. Have you also aggressively pursued changing the funding landscape for women? The latter. Our North Star goal at iFundWomen is driving funding volume for women entrepreneurs. I am looking at my dashboard all day long to see how much funding is flowing through our platform. That's the Mm. number one goal. And the people that are funding the women entrepreneurs, are people that they know in their network. So let me explain what crowdfunding is, because I think that a lot of people don't know what it is. Crowdfunding is when you, the entrepreneur, go out and raise small increments of money from lots of people that you know in your personal, professional, and social network that add up to just enough money to get your business off the ground. So that Mm -hmm. could be anywhere from $10,000 to half a million dollars. This is cash funding. The cash starts going into your bank account three days after your first fund, and you get daily deposits. So you start getting working capital right away to work on your business. It's a miracle. And especially during this time of COVID, where we've seen our membership double February to March, where we have now established brick and mortar Main Street businesses who are needing to save their businesses and they need immediate cash flow, debt-free, they're coming to iFundWomen and they are crowdfunding on our platform. So for anyone listening who wants to support that, go to iFundWomen.com backslash COVID-19 and you'll see all of the Main Street women-owned businesses who are trying to save their businesses. And you have new businesses actually in the last three or four weeks coming out to try to do crowdfunding. I'm surprised that women would even or anyone would aspire to that right now. Absolutely. And part of the coaching program is we teach them how to not be tone deaf and how to market during the time of COVID and how to pivot. So this is what's so interesting. There's a COVID economy going on right now is going to be based off of this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. 
And if you go to our Instagram later, we're going to have a graphic about it. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's a triangle. And basically on the bottom of the triangle are your basic needs, your food, your shelter, your sleep, your sex. It's basically your physical and emotional health and your mental well-being. Financial well-being is part of that. Then the next level up on the triangle is your safety, your personal safety, your security, your employment, your health, your property safety. Okay. So those are sort of the bottom rungs on Maslow's triangle. Then as you get farther up Maslow's triangle, you get to self-esteem and self-respect. And at the very top of Maslow's triangle is this place called self-actualization. That's where probably you and I are. We have all of our basic needs covered. We love ourselves. We have a lot of money. We are safe. And now we're just trying to like better ourselves in whatever way we can. So you're still missing one side of the triangle, aren't you? What, which is what? I've been drawing a little picture. So I've got food, shelter, sleep, and sex on the bottom of the triangle. If I had to eliminate one, I'd say sex at my age. And then creeping up the sides, you have safety. And after that, self self-esteem going up the triangle. So these are steps. I'm picturing it as a pyramid. Right, I am okay. missing one. Yeah, Good yeah. call. Right in the middle is love and belonging. Ah, so that's my intimacy, hot spot. family connection. Yeah. COVID economy. The companies that are going to crush it through COVID mm-hmm. are the companies that are focused on the bottom two rungs and a little mm-hmm. bit of the third rung. Food delivery services are going to do super yep. well. Any sort of housing, sexual wellness, physiological needs, those are going to be the companies that do really well. Then on top of it is safety, personal safety, employment, property safeties. These are the companies that are going to do really well. So any food and drink, household goods, healthcare, medical supplies, all of those types of companies. So in the time of COVID, you asked about the companies that are actually crowdfunding. Well, Mm. we have lots of fashion designers on iFundWomen who pre-COVID were selling these like $200 bomber jackets and things that were purchased by people at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Well, they have started to pivot to sewing masks and hospital gowns and making medical supplies. But that's temporary, is it not, Bray? They're not going to define their business by that. It's temporary, but nobody's buying they're $200 outfits. Take Taylor J. I'm going to give you a perfect example. And you can see her on the homepage of iPhone women. Taylor J has a fabulous workwear line that you can go from your plane to the boardroom. And honestly, her stuff is yummy and delicious and beautiful. And I love it. You know, her things are pricey. Her pieces are two to $300. They're for corporate women. First of all, I haven't gotten on my pajamas. People are not buying workwear. She was smart. She is taking her beautiful fabrics and she's creating gorgeous consumer grade face masks that are fashionable because people are going to be wearing these long after this epidemic is over. And Mm. I think that was a smart pivot. I don't know how she got it done so quickly. Good for her. Because she sews, because she has the manufacturing and because she's smart. I want to change gears if I could just for a moment. What about the women that you're hearing from that are not so optimistic, not pivoting so fast, not thinking they're going to do well? The people who are already in business, they've not been in a long time. They have cash flow problems. They have uh, maybe a handful of employees that they can't afford to keep. 
Are you giving them daily advice? And what would be your words of encouragement to that whole group of women who are losing a little bit of faith? I'm sure you don't have the whole network filled with optimists. No, here's the advice. Congress just passed a $348 billion COVID relief bill for and what's the best use of that? What portions of that should they grab and hit the floor running? What do you tell them? I looked high and low last weekend after the bill was passed for the best expert in the country to mm-hmm. come and speak to our women through Zoom. And I found a gentleman named Mark L. Rockefeller. He's in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. He helped write the bill, and he also is running one of the fintech companies who is going to be the front end for taking the loan applications for the banks. Because as you may know, only 1% to 2% of banks take loans online, which is why online lenders have cropped up so much over the last bunch of years. You can't just go apply online at Chase as Mm -hmm. of before. So what's one to do? Here's what I'm telling everybody to do. The best part of the CARES Act is the Paycheck Protection Plan. Everybody should be applying for it. Businesses, nonprofits, sole proprietors, and freelancers. As long as you are a tax-paying entity, you need to be applying for this. They are starting to deploy the funds. But how do you get your hands on those funds, assuming the money is available? From what I've heard, if I go to my Chase homepage, and I'm not paid by Chase, I just happen to use them, they will have an application for me to apply. And I'm going to apply, of course, for iPhone Women. We've got 16 employees and a pretty big Mm -hmm. payroll. I'm going to apply for the payroll protection. And what it is, is it's two and a half times your payroll and your health insurance benefits. They take one month and they multiply it by 2.5. And that's the loan you get. They keep moving the date. It was, was for four months. And now I think it's for two months. If you Mm -hmm. keep the same amount of jobs, that loan is forgiven. So this is free money. Karen, how long did your banker at Chase say it would take you for you to get your hands on the money? I haven't been able to talk to my banker at Chase. I talked to this expert, Mark, who gave a talk at iPhone Women. And how long did he say it would take to get that cash into someone's hands? That's my biggest concern. That's why I'm focused on it. From everything that I have researched, I think that's going to be an issue. Nobody's quite sure what forms banks are. They're optional as to what forms they can use, what they don't want to use. I understand there's a second series of forms that once you do your first, they send back to you, you have to do again. I'm thinking it's six to eight weeks out at best. And yet I think everybody's thinking they're going to get that cash probably by the end of next week. I just wondered if he had anything to say on that. They have to deploy almost $350 billion in capital by the end Mm -hmm. of June. In the next like two months or so, I think that the banks have been scrambling and the financial technology companies have been helping them to deploy the capital. So the capital is there, obviously. It's just about getting all the applicants into a funnel. And how long it will last, of course. Yeah. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, What we're telling our entrepreneurs to do is, number one, don't panic. Take a deep breath. We are all in this together, truly. Number two, go get your ducks in a row. Have all of your P&Ls lined up, all of your business documentation, your tax returns, all of your things in a nice, neat pile. Go and fill out the applications. So there's two pieces to the CARES Act. One is the paycheck protection, which is the best part is going to also have the least stipulations. Like they're not going to look at your credit score. They're not going to look at your profitability. They're not going to look at much because the goal of that is to just keep jobs. 
That's the goal. That's actually a very simple form to fill out. You don't need a lot of stuff. On the SBA loan side, which we are also going to apply for, we may not use the money. We may take the money and invest it. On the SBA loan side, that is a loan loan that you have to put up your personal collateral for, which typically we absolutely don't recommend to early stage entrepreneurs. Why would anyone even apply to that? It's an application that's like 60 pages long. Already before we went into this crisis mode, those SBA loan packages were taking between three and six months to process. Why would anyone even apply for that on a loan that you have to pay back versus the paycheck protection? I would think that would all just go away on the whole loaning industry, that everybody would be on the paycheck protection. No? Yes, everyone should be on paycheck protection. And if you have an established business that you are growing, which I find mm-hmm. women falls into that bucket, I want mm-hmm. some growth capital. And I know we mm-hmm. can pay that loan back. We yeah. have money in the bank. I would say for every business case, it's different. SBA loans typically were 8%. This mm-hmm. particular loan as of today could change mm-hmm. is 4%. It's cheaper money. It's a case by case But you're Mm -hmm. right. Everybody should be getting that payroll protection money. They're saying now, because we're going into such a recession, that you need 36 months of runway. Whereas before they were saying 12 to 18 months of runway, you need 36 months of runway. No one has that. Of course. No, it's so a that's joke. Why, it's like Pollyanna land. Yeah. Karen, let me return to one thing that I've been so curious about, and I got some secondhand information having to do with the iFund women, the entrepreneurs. Tell me how many people in the end, I know there are $5,000 grants. I think eight women got those wonderful grants. What's been happening with those particular businesses? How have they used that money? Do you think they've spent it wisely? And I'd love to hear a story of a success or something that made a great change to a woman who didn't think she had a shot beforehand. That's a great question. And all of them have been successful. Let me give you two examples. One is Deepti Sharma. She runs Mm -hmm. a company called Food to Eat. It's a catering service that highlights food from women and immigrant communities. I remember her. Yes. I know. And you coached her. And she got great coaching from you. She is now crowdfunding on iPhone Women again because she is now feeding the vulnerable immigrant community, undocumented immigrants who are not going to be able to take part in any of the government. Wow. She was not doing that when I met her. That's a terrific idea. My gosh. She's doing that through COVID because she's really a savvy, smart businesswoman. So that's Deep D. And then Lauren Beasley, who's the founder of a company called Move Inclusive Dance, a dance studio in Nashville, Tennessee, for people with special needs, specifically Down syndrome and autism spectrum disorder. Mm. Lauren opened up her first studio for people to come dance and learn to dance. It's an amazing dance program. And she's oversubscribed. Every class is oversubscribed. Now, you would think that during COVID, because her studio shut down because of social distancing, that she would be down and out in Beverly Hills. Well, she is not. Mm -hmm. She has taken her classes to Facebook Live, and she Mm. is reaching so many more people in her community and extending her brand so much farther through COVID. So talk Mm. about ingenuity. Lauren Beasley, founder of Move Inclusive Dance, you mark my word, she is going to be franchised all over the country when COVID Mm. is over. 
What's interesting about each of those stories is neither of those small business owners would have had the wherewithal or even the imagination probably to dream up the reinvention of their first-time business, but they did because of hardship, because of what we're going through. Do you think that happens more often than we give business credit for, that when they hit a wall, go through hardship, that's very often the best news of all for them to reinvent themselves? Or do you think these are just two happy stories? Do you think this is a commonality among many successful businesses? This is absolutely a commonality among many successful businesses, and I've heard you speak about this before. Every Mm -hmm. successful entrepreneur has had so many fails and so many setbacks. If you can't get through those hard times with ingenuity and creativity and the ability to pivot, you're not going to make it. And I think Mm. it's because of shows like yours and because of platforms like iPhone Women that we're now able to elevate and tell these stories. I have thousands Mm. of these stories, literally Mm -hmm. thousands. We should start Mm -hmm. a podcast about that. Oh, just about failure, how to fail, how to fail well. There's got to be something out there. But isn't a pain in the neck that when you're going through a portion where you just hit wall after wall after wall, there's not one moment in that progression that you could actually pause and say to yourself, I'm sure this is going to turn out great. Because when you're going through it, it's so damn hard. But it's only in hindsight. One year later, two years later, you say, ah, if that didn't happen, this wouldn't happen. What's that? Is that God having a sense of humor? What's going on here that you have to look back and see it in hindsight? No fair, no fair. Yeah, I know. I do think for us older ladies, we have wisdom, we have experience, and we have hindsight. I think for the younger women coming up, they have what's called iFund Women, and we have a very close-knit network where women are talking every single day through our Slack network. Barbara, you should make a cameo on the Slack network. Literally, it I is- will. There are 5,000 entrepreneurs who are all direct messaging each other. They're all in these different channels and they are supporting each other through this whole Mm. thing. They're collaborating. They're hiring each other. They're giving each other ideas. We didn't have that. We were isolated Mm. and lonely and down the dumps. We just had to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We had no support. All of these women have such support in this community. Women are coming together like never than ever. I think that's true. But let me tell you, Karen, I'm going to end it with saying my hats off to you because it's easy enough to say women are coming together, but they need the foundation and the means of coming together and somebody savvy enough to promote it and get it before them so that they join in. And that's where your wonderful idea came in that made such a difference to women. So for you, Karen Khan, I say I applaud you. And I really wish at this time in the day, I really mean it, but the only thing that's lacking, if I might name one little thing lacking, is I wish, even though it's like one in the afternoon, that I had a gin and tonic right now with a lot of ice and lime so that I could toast you with a drink. And I will toast (laughs) to you, Barbara. Thank you for the kind words. I take them and I say thank you. I also would love to tell you that you are such a hero to so many of our entrepreneurs because you're one of the first. You've broken through so many glass ceilings and you're one of our sheroes. So thank you for all that you're doing as well. My pleasure. And here, listen to my ting of my glass. I already poured my drink. I'm not waiting for you. Here we go. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Okay. I love you, Karen. Thank you so So much. much. (laughs) Bye, Barb. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a phenomenal lady. I mean, uh, come on, you can't listen to her and not be knocked over the head with her conviction. We're very lucky to hear from Karen. And of course, uh, don't forget 
to check out iFundWomen. I want to promote her, not because she's asking me to, but because I have seen firsthand the difference that that makes to so many gals out there. So thanks for listening. And I guess that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Let us know your thoughts. Think I got it right? Think I got it wrong? Have an idea for a great guest? Just tweet me at Barbara Corcoran using the hashtag 888Barbara and keep those questions coming in to the 888Barbara hotline. You can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be coy. Leave a review for the show at Apple Podcasts and keep the party going on. We'll see you next time. 888Barbara is produced by Sandy Smolens for Audiation. And Lila Mann is our executive producer. Audiation.